Well, please grab your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 1, Mark chapter 1. This is our third Sunday as we're beginning to go through the gospel of Mark. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, if you can, uh, share with someone next to you. Uh, There's Bibles on the back of those book holders. If you've been around here for a little while, you know we're big about the Bible around here. You don't want to hear what I have to say. You want to hear what God's word has to say. And so we dig into it, dive into it, and that's what it's all about. And I'm convinced that I and people learn a lot more when you have a Bible open and just on your lap. So if you're not used to bringing one to church, I just want to encourage you to do that. And uh, so we're in Mark chapter 1 in the New Testament. Let me, since we're getting started, it's summer. We've got people coming in and out kind of week to week for a while here. That's what summer's kind of about. If you've been gone a week or two, let me get you up to date. Two Sundays ago, we talked about the human author of the book of Mark, and that guy's name is John Mark. And uh, one of the cool stories about John Mark, John Mark had some serious failure in uh, serving the Lord. And we talked about it a couple Sundays ago. And just the story of how God's grace is bigger than any and all of my greatest epic failures. And same for you. God is bigger than any and all of our greatest epic failures in life. And here's a guy who failed in some significant ways, and yet God is using him to pen down his words. Very, very cool. That's John Mark. Well, then last Sunday, we were in the first uh, 13 verses of Mark chapter 1. Look at verse 1. It uh, talks about how there, it's the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, just a note on that. Uh, seriously, for people who are new to the Bible, uh, Christ is not Jesus' last name. It was not Joseph Christ, Mary Christ, had Jesus Christ. Christ is a title. And so when it says that, it's really saying Jesus, and it's giving him a title. He's the Messiah. He's the Christ. He's the one that the Old Testament talked about. And so this is the beginning, Mark tells us. It's the beginning of the good news of Jesus, if you want to say Jesus the Christ. And then the next terminology, the Son of God. Son, that's not birthed of, that's not left uh, lesser than, that's equal to. That's clearly the term that they understood at that time. This is God in the flesh, second person of the Trinity, in the flesh. Uh, That's the one who we are learning about. And Mark is writing to talk about that. He is proving a case, you guys. That's what's going on here. He's not writing a daily devotional book where you just open it, get your little tidbit for the day. I mean, you can read it on an ongoing basis, but that's not why Mark Mark is writing it. He's also not writing like some systematic uh, theological treatise that uh, uh, is for you to have all the theologies and the things that you've wanted to know. Mark has one purpose in mind. He wants to prove that Jesus is and was the Christ. That's what's going on here, and that's why he goes. And, and that's why the book of Mark isn't even in full chronology. He actually moves a few things around, and the reason for that is he brings some things together to show things at certain points in time uh, as he's writing here. So he's writing uh, to prove who Jesus Christ is. He's writing to Christians who at the time lived in Rome. Now, Rome is so much like our culture, and this is a big deal because I think it helps us understand that the gospel is Mark is like so for you and I. The Gospel of Mark was written to people living in Rome at the time, Christians in Rome. Uh, Rome, it was a superpower culture. Rome, out of that, uh, knew of uh, wealth, and it had wealth in its whole system and setup. It was a culture that that highly uh, praised and worshipped power and position. Uh, Boy, that's our culture. And one other thing that was really interesting about uh, back in that day that's so like today, they were all about religious tolerance. 
In other words, you could believe whatever you wanted, but here's the interesting thing. Unless you are a committed follower of Jesus Christ, then we got issues. And it was that day, and I'm telling you, this is so much our day and age as well. And Paul's, or Mark is writing to them. Mark's also, in the first 13 verses, as we talked about, he's laying out the players in the story. And in just a few verses, he lays out John, uh, John the baptizer. He's there proclaiming. He lays out people are coming to John. Jesus comes out to John. God the Father speaks. God the Spirit descends on Jesus. God the Spirit sends him out into the desert. Out in the desert, there's Satan is tempting. And then also in the desert, it tells us the angels are ministering. And just in a short period of time, uh, Mark doesn't get into the birth of Christ, doesn't get into the birth of John. He's just getting the players on the table of this story. I mean, you can almost think of it like a movie and everything is laid out there on the table. Uh, One other thing I want to note here with that is that all of this is happening in one place. We talked about this last week. In the text, you clearly see there's a term in there that says in the wilderness. And we use this picture of the earth and the solar systems. I mean, a man is still trying to figure out how big the universe is. And yet what's so neat about this is Mark is writing and he's saying, listen, you guys, all the players, John, the people, God, the father, God, the spirit, God, the son, Satan, the angels, they're all right there. And they're all in this one spot on the earth that could be anywhere in the solar system, but they're all like right there. And, and I think this is where he's going and laying stuff out. So we have the players, the actions, and it's all happening in one place. And one other thing I want to add to the table here before we move on. Uh, in the first three chapters, uh, I didn't talk about this last week on purpose. The first three chapters, uh, Mark is laying out what we would call endorsements. In other words, endorsements. You think of a movie. A movie comes out in some newspaper. Some writer says, you got to see this movie. And so when you're like, oh, they say we got to see it, then I'll go see it. It's kind of like an authority giving authority. And, and so in endorsements, like same thing on books. On the back page of a book, it's like this person says, you've got to read this book. Well, what's happening in these first three chapters, as these unfold here over the next couple months, you'll be seeing that God is bringing all these people on and they're all pointing to the fact, this is Jesus the Christ. This is the Messiah. Pay attention to who this dude is. You've got to see what's happening there, okay? Well, let's do this. Let's read the first 13 verses. This is what we covered last week. And then we'll pick up. We're just going to do a few verses for today. Let me start. Mark chapter one, verse one. It says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of God. And then it says, as it is written in Isaiah, the prophet, this is referring back to the Old Testament from Malachi chapter three, Isaiah chapter 40. It says uh, 400, 700 years earlier, behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. They're putting it there because verse four says who this person is. John appeared. This is the guy who had been proclaimed would be coming uh, before in the the voice in the wilderness, crying out, prepare the way. Verse four, John appeared baptizing in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river, confessing their sins. Now, John was clothed with camel's hair, wore a leather belt around his waist, ate locusts and wild honey. Uh, He's clearly looking like an Old Testament Elijah-like prophet. Plus, he's in the wilderness, is really emphasizing as well there. Verse 7, and he preached 
And he preached saying, after me, by the way, important statement there, after me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. By the way, even in that day, a slave would not untie the master's shoes. That wasn't their job. And so John here is basically saying, I'd even do that. This guy's so incredible. Verse eight, I have baptized you with water. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Now, in those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up, here we go, gang. And when he came up out of the water immediately, okay, just so everybody knows, we've got some visitors here today, just with baptism and so forth. Just so you know, Mark uses this term immediately a lot, uh, 11 times in the first chapter, 40 times through the whole book. And he's putting it in there for us to catch a feel on what's happening. And it's really fast. And that's why we're doing the bam thing. So uh, when he came up out of the water immediately, he saw the heavens being torn open, the spirit descending on him like a dove. A voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. And the spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness for how many days? 40 days, being tempted by Satan. (laughs) Awesome. Uh, This is like vaudeville, isn't it? And he was with the wild animals and the angels were ministering to him. God, I just pray as we go for these next few verses here and we are unfolding the story of, uh, of Jesus. I just pray we would see more of you. Just more of you, Lord. We really want to know more of you. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Well, let's pick up. Here we go. Uh, because we've got the players on the field. Everybody's in their place. Endorsements are being given. And uh, here we are. Jesus, for the first time in the gospel, has something to say. Jesus has something to say. Verses 14 and 15. It says, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God, and saying, The time is fulfilled, And the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Let's pause. Let's talk about this for a little bit. What do we see? These stories unfolding. Now, after what was just, we talked about last Sunday, first 13 verses, John is arrested. Well, it's interesting. We're not told when. We're not told why. We're not told how John is arrested. We're simply just told that John is arrested. But I want to know when, and I want to know why, and I want to know how. Well, what's interesting is it's not important to Mark right now. So he's not talking about it. Uh, Mark will actually pick up John later in chapter 6 of the gospel. So he'll talk some more. But right now it's not important. So what's Mark's point in writing this? Well, if you remember back in verse 7, John said he preached saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I. After me. Well, so what's going on in verse 4? Mark is saying John appeared. Then in verse 14, John is saying, John disappeared. (laughs) Poor John. I mean, it's like, that's sad. I mean, the guy's there and he's just like written off of the page of the script. Uh, Actually, yes. That's kind of what's happening here. Why is that? Well, because John was one, a voice crying in the wilderness, preparing the way for the Lord. And now the Lord is on the stage. John, step aside. John, Good job, but now all eyes are on Jesus. Where are they? Where are they? 
Well, John was arrested. Jesus comes into Galilee. So they go into Galilee. Where is Galilee? Well, Galilee, everybody in the back of your Bibles, turn to the back. There's some maps in the back of your Bible. If you're not familiar with that, there are. I want for you to go, everybody, if you got your Bible with you, go to the back of your Bible, take a look at it. We will be, I'll be putting maps up on the screen here in the the weeks to come. But right now, I just, uh, some people aren't familiar with their Bible. And if in the back, you didn't know there's maps back there. Look for one that says like, uh, in the time of Jesus or the ministry of Jesus. And what you'll see there is you'll see in Israel at that time, there's the Dead Sea. Then there's the Jordan River that goes north. And up above that is the Sea of Galilee. And in the Sea of Galilee, there's the region of Galilee. Think it's like a county, okay? It's like a county. And so you've got on the north part of the Sea of Galilee and the west part of the Sea of Galilee, an area called the County of Galilee. And that's where Jesus is going. He's heading up that way. He was born in that area. Nazareth is in that area. We'll talk more about this area because from chapters 1 through like chapters 9, most of everything that's taking place is right in that territory. All right, Mark lays things out by region of where Jesus is at. So he's going up to Galilee. Just a couple notes on that. How cool is that? Jesus goes up to Galilee. And I say that because what we just saw is with John, John is in the wilderness. He's out in this kind of desert area by the Jordan River and the people are going to John. But now Jesus comes on the scene and what does Jesus do? Jesus goes to the people. Very cool. Listen, God came not for people to always have to go out to him. He came to get involved in our lives. That's the reality of it. How sweet is that? He's not staying away. He's not trying to stay away from you, from us. He actually wants to be involved. He's going to where the people are. Also with this, he doesn't do this until John is off the scene. John goes off the scene. Jesus comes on the scene. As I mentioned, it's kind of sad for John in some ways. But on the other hand, I just kind of want to bring this. Let's bring this to today. In ministry. Sometimes we have a hard time stepping aside. And why is that? Because we have a tendency to make things about us. And the fact of the matter is, John came saying, listen, I'm preparing the way for someone to come. When the guy comes, I'm out. And I'm great with that. And there is just a lesson in this of, I just say, listen, friends, life is about Jesus, not about you and I. Life is about Jesus. It's not about you and I. It's about Jesus first. And and along with that, let me just bring it kind of a little more in a ministry context. We need to be individuals and we need to be people and we need to be the kind of church that's willing to pass the ministry baton. I'm talking about if you serve in children's ministry and you serve in an area. I'm talking if you're a small group leader somewhere. I'm talking if you lead an area of ministry here, if you're an elder here or a pastor here. Newsflash. It's not about you. It's not about me. If I die, you know, weep for a little bit, hire someone else. Next. You know, I remember hearing about it. It's like, preach the gospel, die. Be with the Lord. Listen, it's just like, next. Listen, this isn't my thing here. And also, this isn't your thing here. This is Jesus' thing here. 
And we need to keep that in mind just as we go. And I love guys like John. It's like someone, it's all about someone else. And when that someone comes, he's even willing to step aside, even willing to be arrested uh, for it all. Very cool. Well, Jesus comes to proclaim something. He's going up, he's going up to Galilee. What's he proclaim? Verse 14, he says he's proclaiming what's called the gospel of God. What is the gospel of God? That's a great question. But Mark doesn't really answer it at this point. In fact, go to verse one, chapter one. It says, it's the beginning of the gospel. And note up there, it says the gospel of Jesus Christ. It could also be the gospel of the son of God. Down here, we have the gospel of God. Well, we've got all these terms. What is this? I have a choice right now, just so you know. I have a choice right now, and I could drill down on what is the gospel. But here's the thing. Mark is in the process. We're at the beginning of Mark telling what that is. So I'm actually going to let the text unfold it on out because he's got 15 and a half more chapters and plus what do I do next week? <laughs> okay, no, so, so we're really, we're, we're on this train. We're enjoying this ride through it. We'll be talking about it, but he kind of says he comes in preaching this thing. And, you know, he does give us a few hints here. He says in uh, verse 15, he says, the time is fulfilled. So something about time and being fulfilled. He says the kingdom of God is at hand. So there's some kind of kingdom thing going on. And it's not a kingdom of man thing. It's a kingdom of God thing. It's a divine kind of kingdom thing that's going on. He also says repent. Uh, That's some kind of response. Um, Repent means that there's a problem in the situation, but he doesn't go into that. And he also says, have a belief in the gospel, believe in. Uh, By the way, in the Greek, believe in does not have a a thinking about. It's just not data. It's not just an opinion. Belief on changes you. It's not a, I believe in George Washington kind of a thing that he existed. It's a much deeper belief in, and it's belief in the gospel. So I'm just going to leave it there. Okay. I'm going to leave it there, but I'm going to leave it there with this. Jesus came saying something. Let me say that again. Jesus came saying something. I want to ask you a question. I'm going to be actually quite blunt about this. Don't be offended by it. I'm just pressing into us. I think that's a valuable question. I'm asking myself the same thing at this point because Jesus comes saying, and here's my question. Do you care? Do you care? This Jesus, who is just verses 1 through 13, has some amazing things taking place with him. He's coming saying something. And it's this gospel of God thing. And and I really have to ask again, do you care? Let me ask it this way. How much do you care? How much do you care about what Jesus has to say? Let me, let me ask it in some various ways here. Do you believe what Jesus believes? I mean, does your belief system line up with Jesus's belief system? Do you know? And therefore, do you care? Well, what if Jesus had some hard things to say? Would you hear it? Or is it pick and choose? What if Jesus, let me, here's another way to think about this. What if Jesus had some amazing, great news to say? Would you believe it? 
Like, for instance, we talked a couple Sundays ago about John Mark and how he totally bailed in ministry, failed God in a big way, if you want to put it that way, kind of ministry. And yet God says in his word that he forgives. Do you believe that? Oh, but he can't forgive me. You have no idea what a creep I've been. You have no idea the kind of stuff I've done. I may not, but he does. And you know what? Do you believe what he says? That's the big deal here. Let me also ask with this. What if Jesus asked you to do something? Would you do it? Or just debate it? That's for someone else. What if Jesus asked you to do something pretty radical? We're actually going to see, I'm asking that question because of what's about to happen in the next couple of verses. What if Jesus asked you to do something pretty radical? Would you? Would you do it? Let me wrap all of it up this way. Think about it here. This last week, Monday through Saturday, as you were going through your week and you had things taking place, you had things happen. Good things happen, hard things happen, uh, neutral things happen. You just had things happen. During this last week, did you give any care to what Jesus has to say? I mean, during this last week, were you like during the week, like, I really wonder what Jesus has to say about this whole thing. That's really what tells us how much we care. Because if there's been a week of non-thinking that way, and I'm saying this to myself as well, by the way, we have to ask ourselves, I say I care, but do I really care? Caring what Jesus says is about a day-to-day thing. And we're here right at this point where the first thing we find Jesus saying, I think we have to ask ourselves, how much do we really care what Jesus has to say? And let me me say this too. Maybe you're here today and you're like, I really don't want to be here. I was forced to be here. I I come here. But um, honestly, Doug, I really don't care. I just want for you to know, I'm so glad you're here. And I really want to just kind of as a friend, if I can be that way, I just want to say, hey, listen, this guy, Jesus, this dude has some things to say. And and even if right now you maybe you don't care, I just want to invite you over time as we go through this. I just want to invite, just hear him out. Just hear him out. I'm not going to force anything on you. I can anyway. I just want to invite you to hear him out because he has something to say. It's worth hearing. But Doug, he's invisible. I've never met him. Real quick. Of any time in history, we are in a time to where we get relationship without ever seeing somebody. Uh, Prove it. Okay, four words. Facebook, email, Twitter, and text. You can actually have a vibrant relationship, if you will, with someone and never see them. And so it's like, we don't see him. We can't have a relationship. No, no, no. Know this. God has emailed an email to you. And this email is interactive. And here in just a moment, as we start moving just in a couple of verses and take a little bit of time into that, I hope I'm going to try to make this come alive, to make this email 
come alive, that you can have and understand relationship just through written word. Okay? So no other time in history are people able to be able to have relationship with someone and never see them. So here we go. Jesus came saying something. Now the next, Jesus has some people to call. Jesus has some people to call. Let me read just verses 16 through 20. This is crazy. Okay, so Jesus just went to Galilee. He has something to say. And verse 16, passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, picture it in your mind, passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew. Uh, Andrew is the brother of Simon. By the way, Andrew's the older brother. But when this is being written, more people knew Simon. Simon becomes Peter, okay? So most people knew Peter, by the way. I was the younger brother, and I'm like, I bet this drove Andrew nuts that his younger brother's listed first. Anyway, that has nothing to do with the text. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were what? Fishermen. They're just regular people, not professors, not corporate CEOs, uh, not uh, theological seminarian profs. They're just blue-collar people. They're professional fishermen. Verse 17, and Jesus said to them, hey, that's in there. It's in the Greek. Hey, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. Verse 18, and immediately... They left their nets and followed him. Now, going a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. Again, two other brothers, just a little bit further up the road. By the way, in that area, a little bit further is like not very far. Okay? Um, And they were in their boat mending their nets. So apparently they were fishermen-like as well. Verse 20, and immediately... He called them and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with hired servants and they followed him. Now let's talk about this. Verse 16, Jesus is walking by the Sea of Galilee. He sees Simon and Andrew, these two brothers. They're fishing. They're professional fishermen. Verse 17, Jesus calls out, hey, follow me. I will make you become fishers of men. It's just kind of like random and radical. In the reality of it. By the way, I want to note here, I'm not going to spend the time on it today. Uh, This call to follow is about following to become something. Jesus didn't just say, follow me. He said, follow me to become something. We'll see that unfold as we continue through the gospel of Mark. So there it is, verse 18. It's like, bam, they're Simon and Andrew. They're like a a goodbye business. Hello, Jesus. I mean, this radical response in it. And I'll just put it this way. You read through this and doesn't this seem like some kind of like voodoo call and zombie response? It doesn't. I mean, hey, follow me. Uh, I can't stop myself. And then we go on. Verse 19, he goes a little further. He sees James and John, two other brothers. They are mending nets. It doesn't tell us what Jesus says to them. I think it's almost from the context, very likely that he says the exact same thing. Hey, James, John, follow me. I will make you become fishers of men. And again, it's bam, goodbye business. Hello, Jesus. Voodoo call, zombie response. What's going on here? Big picture, we could say this. Big picture, what's going on here is Jesus is building a team. I mean, he's calling individuals. It's interesting to me. Why doesn't he go to a giant amphitheater and just call lots of people and do the whole amphitheater gig? I think that's what I probably would have done. 
But he's just going and he's calling these like regular folk. And it's like, come follow me. I'm going to make you into something. Well, Mark doesn't tell us exactly why, just that that's what he's doing. So, so what's happening here? I want to drill on this for a moment because I think there's a tendency for us to get the wrong idea of what a disciple and what making disciples looks like here. And what I mean by that is that oftentimes being a disciple and making disciples all, all can look like some kind of voodoo zombie process. Everybody turn your Bibles to John chapter 1. It's right in your Bibles. It goes Mark, then it goes Matthew, Mark, then Luke, then John. Turn to John chapter 1. There's something really important here to understand, to be able to understand what we just read. Because, friends, this was not a voodoo call. This was not a zombie response. This was actually a call to some informed guys who made an informed decision. Let's take a look at this. John chapter 1, pick up verse 35. Uh, By the way, you can see verse 29. Uh, The next day Jesus was coming towards John, John the baptizer, and he says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Then in verse 35, oh, by the way, did I say that this is about a year earlier? Did I say that? Sorry, just got both services mixed up. This is about a year earlier. This is about a year before Mark chapter 1. Look what takes place here. Okay, verse 35. The next day again, John, John the baptizer, was standing with the two disciples, two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked away uh, by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this. And they followed Jesus. How interesting. So John has these, at least two disciples, two of his disciples, two of his students are hanging with him. John goes, hey, there's the Lamb of God. And then the next day he goes, hey, there's the Lamb of God. Now you've got to understand, John knows that he's the one preparing the way for the Messiah. And on top of that, his students, his pupils, his, his, his guys uh, hanging with them, they know this. They've been talking about this, that the Messiah is coming And all of a sudden, John goes, there's the Lamb of God. And these two guys, they're like, are you kidding me? That's the Lamb of God? I want to hang with that guy. You've got to understand, folks, this has been something for hundreds and thousands of years earlier through the Old Testament. It's been pointing to there's one that's going to be coming. And they're there right at the spot where John goes, that's the guy. I would be one to do the same thing, wouldn't you? Like, are you kidding me? Let's stalk this guy. I absolutely would. Okay, you're feeling creeped right now, but I would uh, because of who this guy is. And so that's what's happening here. And so Jesus turns, verse 38, they're following him and Jesus turns and he's following them and he says to them, get away from me. (laughs) No, he doesn't. He says, cool question. Hey guys, what are you seeking? What a killer question. What a killer question. He knew. Again, Jesus just draws out the heart. He's a master with questions. And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Feels a little creepy, doesn't it? He said to them, "Uh, no, I'm not giving my address. No, he says to them, come and you will see. How inviting. So they came and they saw where he was staying. Now you may go, that's kind of a silly statement right there. No, it's not. I mean, think about this. If you had someone really famous, I mean, aren't you interested like what their home looks like? 
I mean, we have TV shows about that. Like, hey, you want another crib? And it's like, yeah, because whatever lives there. It's not creepy. It just shows you about them. And, and here it's like, so they came and they saw where his crib was. And, and they stayed with him on that day for it was about the 10th hour. It's about 4 o'clock. Get a load of that. They hung with him. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was who? Andrew. Andrew, Andrew, that was John chapter one. That was one of the guys in the boat. Andrew was there. He was one of the two, Simon Peter's brother, uh, verse 41. So he first found his own brother. This is after the conversation that evening with Jesus. Let's just pause here for a second and ask this. Like, what was that conversation like? I'm, I, I don't know. We're not told. But listen, if, the, if that's the Lamb of God, I'm asking some questions. And on top of that, I'm looking right in his eyes. And I'm gauging out what's going on in there. Are you for real? Because there had been a lot of fake messiahs going on. And I want to see right in your eyeballs what's going on. And you speak back to me. I wonder what Jesus was asking them. I wonder what Jesus was pushing and pressing and loving into them. I wonder what they were coming back. I would just watch him eat. (laughs) It's true. Was he dorky? Was he uncomfortable? Was he really smart and not people skilled? Or was he the whole package? We don't know any of that, but we know how he came out. Look at this, verse 41. Andrew, he first found his own brother Simon, and he said to him, we have found the Messiah. That sums up that whole evening. They were there asking the questions, checking him out up and down, as well as his crib, asking about the whole thing. And they walk away from the whole conversation and it's like this. I'm telling you, that guy is the lamb. And he goes and he tells his brother. He, we found the Messiah, which means the Christ, verse 42. So, so here, Andrew brings uh, Simon, uh, brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You shall be called Cephas. <laughs> I didn't come for a name change. <laughs> I mean, I'll tell you, this is where I say the authority is being laid out. Who can come to you and you go, you know what? Name change. I'd be like, you're insane. But here in it, that's what's happening. Friends, it just, this should be drawing our interests in, drawing us in to just wanting to know more about what took place here. That's why the Gospels are written in a narrative form and to understand it and feel it. Now turn back to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1, which happens about a year later. A year A whole year, that means like two months, four months, six months, eight months, 10 months, 12 months. That's a long period of time. And here, Andrew and Simon, they've had this interaction and and they're, they're brothers and they fish together. Listen, I've been out fishing, not a lot, but I've been out fishing. And like when you're in a boat, uh, you talk. And then, by the way, in John, the rest of the chapter talks about Philip and Nathaniel uh, also have an interaction with Jesus. And Philip and Nathaniel are just a little bit further up the road. They're fishermen. And so in it all, I'm telling you, friends, this is talked about. 
And so when we come back to Mark chapter 1, that John chapter 1 event happened, and then you've got all this process along the way until we come to Mark chapter 1. Now let's read Mark chapter 1 again, verse 16. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, Jesus said to Simon and Andrew, parentheses, who they met a year ago. There they were fishing. Verse 17, Jesus said to them, Hey, Andrew, Simon, Follow me, I will make you fishers of men. Now, does that not change the whole understanding of what happened? Because that's what happened. And in fact, we we keep reading and, and immediately they left their nets, followed him. Now I understand why. Because they've been thinking about this for a whole year. Digesting who this guy is and what's going on. This was not some voodoo call zombie response. And going a little further, verse 19, he saw James, uh, the son of Zebedee, John, his brother, who were in the boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them likely, hey, guys, follow me. I will make you fishers of men. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants because you read that and you go, boy, poor dad. No, no, listen, if you're a fisherman and you're in a boat, you're talking stuff and it would even be being passed from Andrew and Simon along the whole fisherman cove area. And then there they are, James and John talking with their dad about this. I'm just telling you folks, people talk about this. And Zebedee's kind of probably like this. Hey, is he the guy you've been talking to me about? Get out of here. I would be if, if that was my kids. You have an opportunity to be able to hang with the Lamb, the Messiah, the Christ. Are you kidding me? We'll take care of the fish thing here. You go hang out with us because this is a once in a lifetime deal. Wow. The voodoo's gone. The zombie's gone. Such a cool story. Such a cool story. Jesus is on the earth. Second person of the Trinity. He has something to say and he's calling some people. Let me wrap it up this way. Four D's of discipleship. I think there's a practical lesson out of how we see Jesus discipling people. We want to be a church that disciples people, that comes alongside people, that we are growing together as well. And what we see is in John 1, Jesus shows up. And then a year later, we we just read through Mark what takes place. I think there's four D's that are happening here. Data, discuss, digest, and decide. Uh, Listen, to, to be a disciple maker... Just have this understanding. You need to have some data. You need to have some data. And some data to be able to discuss with people. Uh, We'll be coming along in Mark chapter 5 where Jesus comes up to the demon-possessed guy and he he casts the demon out of the guy. and, And then Jesus tells him this very important statement. Go home and tell them, tell your family what the Lord has done. I'm telling you, this guy in Mark chapter 5, he didn't have a theology class. He didn't even have a New Testament to read through. He hadn't gone through a Bible study. He hadn't been in a small group. All he knew was one thing. Jesus showed up in his life and it changed. I can tell you about that. And if you know Christ as your savior, you have that data. And in this process of it, what's going on? Jesus is setting the example here. Discuss it with people. Discuss it with people. Do you talk about spiritual things with other people? Or is it all just about your hobbies and your interests and what's going on in the news? Boring. 
Or are we entering into talking about spiritual things with people, what God's done in your life? I'm not talking about cramming it down people's throat. I'm not talking about preaching their head off. I'm talking about discussing. That's what Jesus did. He invited them to his house to hang and just let the conversation flow. So discuss data. But also along with that, the data was digested. There's a whole year of period of time where this information is being processed. Do you let people digest data? I'm just going to tell you honestly, as a pastor and as someone who's involved in with counseling with folks, uh, I think one of the things that's changed greatly in my discipleship and counseling over the last 10 years is just allowing people to digest. Just allowing people some time. Allowing God to do a work. I can't change anybody. The Bible talks about plant and water, but God gives the growth. And there's time where we just need to give people time. Allow them to have the time instead of maybe just all the time, change, 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 now, 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 now. Sometimes people just need some time. And it's a beautiful thing when all of a sudden the lights goes on and someone gets it and you know God has done a work. And God has done a work because you've discussed the data with them and you've allowed them to digest it and the spirit of God to do a work in their life. But I will say, it does come to a decision point. It does come to a decision point. Friends, an important word here. I'm not talking about an opinion. We're talking about a decision. Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says, Many will call me Lord, Lord. And Jesus says, I will respond, I never knew you. Well, that's got to be the scariest verse in the whole Bible. Well, what's going on there? I think what's going on there is people have derived an opinion of who he is, but they've never made a decision to follow him. Vastly different. And maybe you're at a point in this where, you know, I don't know where you are on this spectrum. Do you know the data? If you don't, man, I love it when people just go, I'm not really sure if I know what Jesus says. I'm not really sure if I know what the Bible says. I've been told things by other people or I've kind of got this perception of other things, but I don't really know if I have the data. I just say to you, hey, if you don't and you're interested, man, we've got people here. If you came with someone, we've got people here that would love just to discuss the data about Jesus with you. There would be nothing more fun. I've got to tell you, in all of my ministering, that's the thing I love doing more than anything is sitting and talking with someone who doesn't know where the book of Mark is in their Bible and yet they want to learn about it. I love that. And if you don't know the data, I just want to encourage you. Jesus came and he spoke and he said something. And I want to encourage you to consider discussing that. And if you need someone to discuss that with, listen, I invite you to do that. I also want to be able to ask, have you gotten the data and have you discussed it? Or have you digested it? I mean, moved it beyond just the George Washington information. Moved it beyond that. Moved it to the point of, so what are the implications of this? What's really going on with this? What is happening here? Just having that time to digest it. If you've discussed it and digested, let me ask this. Have you come to an opinion or have you come to a decision? An opinion stays far away. Let me tell you my thoughts about that. A decision for Christ means I'm stepping in and I'm following Jesus. Vastly different. Have you formed an opinion Or have you come to know Jesus as your Savior? 
Hey, Harvest, this is, I think, a way for us to help understanding how discipleship works. We want to take the data of Jesus, discuss it with people, work with them in digesting it through in small group. And here I even want to do it in here with us together, but also coming to that place where there's a decision to be made, not only just to come to Christ, but every day. And I'm thinking through life with tomorrow. Life gets hard. Wait, what's the data that Jesus has to say about when life gets hard? What am I going to do with that? What do I do with it now? What's my decision? Am I going to do what Jesus says or am I going to do what I want to do? Data, discuss, digest, and decide. Well, we are going to see um, four people here get baptized. And, And let me put it in this context in light of what we've just been talking about. Baptism is an expression of a decision. Baptism is an expression of a decision that's already been made. It's a decision made, I'll just use the text here. It's a decision made by a person to say, you know what, I just don't want to form an opinion about Jesus, I want to follow Jesus. And they've already made that decision. And this is an opportunity for them just to be able to communicate. The Bible says, repent and be baptized. For them just to be able to communicate that the Lord has washed them of their sins, renewed in him. How cool is that? A decision to be made to follow Jesus And now they get to show it. Well, let me pray and we'll do that together. Lord, thank you so much for the fact that you came, for the fact that you came and you were with us. Not far from us, not distant, but you were with. And you came and you spoke, you said something. You were along with, you invited people to come near. You invited people to ask the questions. You love people who want to discuss the data of what you have to say. But God, all the data all points to one thing. It's about coming into a decision to follow Jesus. Not data, but Jesus. Lord, I pray if there's anyone in this room this morning who doesn't know where they're at with that, I pray you would just work in them and encourage them. Maybe it's they need to uh, just have an interest in finding out what the word of God has to say, what this email from you has to say. I just pray that uh, maybe they're in the process of digesting that through, Lord. I just pray that we and and you would help them digest uh, what this is and what this means. And Lord, I would pray if there's anyone who needs to make that decision, God, I pray that they would make a decision to follow Jesus and they'd step out and they'd walk with you. Thanks for these lives and what you've done in them. Special times, all for your glory. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray, amen.